Welcome to Getting to the Truth in His Heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. And my next guest is a multidisciplinary artist who is both fascinated with secondhand materials and the accessibility of low-cost experimental art, forging color from food waste to fabric with various techniques. Her work explores form and text that addresses her interest in history, identity, body, and environment. Please welcome Monique Crabb. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Howdy. I'm excited to, to chat. We only have illustrious guests on this podcast. Uh, welcome, welcome to the uh, the show that is this podcast. Um, <laughs> see, it, it all goes downhill from the introduction. I try to do the boxer style introduction, and uh, I'm still working on it. It's getting. <laughs> um, so, so let's let's get into it. Uh, hit me with those those vital um, stats, like where you're from, how'd you get here, and tell us about your work. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Houston, Texas. Um, I moved to Baltimore 16 years ago, um, so I no longer feel like a Houstonian, um, and I actually don't really like going back there, to be honest, but that's um, that has more like family-related uh, reasons. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I We could start with, do we want to start with my influences? Yes, yeah. please. Sure. Um, so I, I was, I was thinking about this and, um, in recent years, I've thought about how, um, music was a very strong influence for me growing up more. So my adolescence, um, my childhood, I think TV and watching my family perform, <laughs> um, perform as in like them being themselves with no uh, filters. Um, and I, and I think what, how I string these three things together is the storytelling behind music, the storytelling sure. behind the TV. I grew up watching like all the time. Like I, I sometimes joke that it was like my, my pseudo parents cause my parents were often not around. Um, so that's how much TV I watched from very young age. Um, yeah. And then my family too, they all, they're all influential, uh, in some ways due to storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and recently I, I'd say in the last like five years, I used to like beat myself up about, um, how much time I wasted with music. Like, um, my whole adolescence was like not going to school and not doing homework, going to music shows, buying records, buying zines, and just like living in that world, like shows, even during the school week, um, staying up late, sleeping at school. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I, was, I reached a point where I was like, you know, I'm almost 40 years old and I'm in school now getting my master's. Um, yeah. But for a little while, I just was like, man, I really forgot to get a career like everyone else. They planned that and it just didn't work out for me. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and I was like, if I hadn't spent all that time going to shows and just hanging out and partying, maybe I would have a career, you know, but it, these are all like things that I've I've learned that have formed who I am and that mm -hmm. I am, you know, that I, I am an artist. And that's a, a hard thing to admit sometimes when it's not something that makes you money, you know, um, and our society teaches us to, to make that money and to work and, mm -hmm. you know, do the nine to five and doesn't really 
support the idea of the artist. It does in some ways, you know, because like we all work jobs to, to be entertained, like everything we do on the weekends and at night is created by artists. So in some ways it's like our whole culture revolves around that, but yet we don't support it (laughs) in some ways. It's weird. That's, that's, that's legit. And I I think the one, one of the key things out of many things that you said there that I, I, I kind of took note of, um, it's just like, sometimes it's kind of hard to admit when you're an artist or creative or what have you, I've kind of struggled with it. Like I, was in um doing comics back in the day um writing um a lot of different things to try to find what my creative thing was and you know having just this push of there's no money in that you need to go to this i i really wanted to be in comic books it's like you need to go into business get a business degree art school no i don't want to do that business degree go go business rob and um now kind of taking what I've learned from that, but always having that, that passion to do the sexier creative things within the umbrella of business. So I did marketing, you know, like, Oh, I want to do the sexy marketing. And really it's advertising that I wanted to do, or, Hey, can I just like go with this goofy idea and this, this whimsy and see what happens. And it's just like after attempt, after attempt, after attempt and being in corporate America, that wasn't for me. It's like, I need to configure my life that I can make, a commitment to art and creation and just my general well-being and mentally is part of what I do. And it's like, that's the configuration for me. So it's kind of a admitting like, no, you really want to do something creative. Money is cool and all of that stuff, but it shouldn't be what drives everything that you're doing. And it took me some time to learn that. Yeah, totally. I'm still, you know, I think I'm just starting to get comfortable with it, but I've definitely gone down a lot of paths of like, uh, oh, I should be a kid's teacher. Like that's a honest job. Um, but also like be able to make some money more than an artist, you know, and then I, I would suffer. Yeah I, yeah. I suffered down all these paths that I thought I should be doing, you know? And, and then when I get back on the, the artist's path, it always ultimately feels better, even though my bank account doesn't feel great. <laughs> yeah, but, it, it, you know, it, it's like, money comes and money goes and it's like i yeah right now in this period of my life i feel very satisfied with just being back on the artist's path um it's 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 that it's that route it's the route that you're on and it's i think it's one of those things where you have to always come come back to it i think as i do more of these these interviews and i have more informed questions, um, especially like kind of getting to know the the guests a little bit more. You you learn like just it's not easy um, kind of doing what you do. And like the work is great. The work is fun. All of that good stuff. But kind of getting to it, people don't want to people don't really see or acknowledge how the sausage is made. They just want that end result. And it's just like there's stuff that goes into it. There's considerations that are made. It's like, all right, yeah. so. What am I? A lot eating? of suffering. A lot of suffering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about some other things like um uh like how I became an artist. And yeah. it, it, I think like how there's so many things I can talk about, but um I don't know, I don't know where to like start <laughs> as far as like how I became an artist, how, when did I accept it? And how I ended, how I ended up in Baltimore was, you know, 
following the artist's path. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think to like go back to talking about my adolescence, I, uh, I did terrible in school like my whole like education in grade school, like failed third grade, um, just, it never held my attention. Mm-hmm. And it went like junior, I feel like the first time art was introduced to me was in middle school when, um, they, we didn't have art class in middle school. It was just something they, they pulled you out of your like regular class to go experience art for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember it being like the most exciting part of the day. It was just like, um, like one memory stands out of like learning how to paper mache. Uh, and I loved that we never sat down, that we like stood around a table, that we got our hands dirty. Yeah. And there was just like a lot of movement and like school to me was just like sit behind a desk, listen to this person talk at the front of the room with <laughs> 20 other people in the classroom yeah. and just like, and pay attention. And it was like, for me, the recipe was just to go to sleep. I was like, this is when I go to sleep or just go into my mind and like write notes. And so, yeah, school was like so boring. I hated it so much. And then in high school, I met my high school art teacher and it was like a full class of art, which was so cool because it was my first time learning like a little bit of everything, like sculpture, ceramics, jewelry making I think at some point and then that teacher went on to start the first photo class at my high school and before that it was just like journalism who used the you know who made the year the kids that made the yearbook um Mm -hmm. were the only ones that used the dark room and she was like decided to to start a photo class and me and the group of kids that signed up for it went on to take like her her intro, her photo one and two. And we were there with her for the last like three years of high school. Um, and that was like huge for me. She was, she was like a huge influence for me. Uh, she was supportive in a way that like my parents were not, my parents didn't care about school also Mm -hmm. to help. Uh, (laughs) they were there. They also helped me not like school because they didn't care. They were just like, well, if they don't care, I don't care. Um, so I had teachers like my art teacher, Ms. Farron, who was yeah. like, you, you need to care about school just a little bit. Because even if <laughs> just a like, skosh. <laughs> yeah, because she would like she did cool things like sign me up. She would like submit my photographs to to things to, you know, to like a high school art events or whatever. Yeah. And and she'd be like, I wanted to submit you to this, but you're failing. You're failing math and like science. And I was like yeah about that i <laughs> she's like but she's like you know come on get your get your act together and i was like it's so hard um but yeah she just continued to be a great influence on me and even after i graduated from high school uh and all my friends went off to college because you know they had plans and i didn't um i worked in photo labs for um I think for like six years before I moved to Baltimore from the age of like 16 until I moved here. Uh, I, I did that to like support my, uh, obsessive photo habit. And, um, and then my dad died in 2002 and that same high school art teacher, I went back to her and she's the one that helped me, um, figure out how to get into art school, which was like some, 
something I wouldn't have done had my dad not died because my dad was very practical. He was like, Mm -hmm. no, you don't pay to go to art school. That's like absurd. You know, he was like, he made me go to community college. And then he was like, you should get a certificate in like anything. He's like, just pick something and get a certificate in it (laughs) and make money. (laughs) So him dying was like kind of, you know, it, it it was devastating, but then in retrospect, it like changed my life, like Mm -hmm. for the better, you know, I left Houston and I got into, I got into several art schools and chose Baltimore, um, for many reasons, but, um, yeah, that's how, that's part of my art trajectory. Um, at least the foundation of it. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, it's a windy, it's a windy road there. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, continued to be. <laughs> so let, let's talk about um, let's talk about um, your your process and um, from conception to creation. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and my understanding is it's more than you, you have a few different disciplines that you're working within. So describe whichever one you want, but uh, just talk about your your concept to creation. Like, what's the thinking that goes into that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think of, I think with my, I don't know, I may have to tell a little story as far as like how I got to like, to this type of creating, which is working with textiles, you know? Um, Please. uh, so when I moved to Baltimore, I went to art school. I ran Current Space, which is a art gallery downtown. Yeah. Um, and I did that for like a decade. Um, I did that while I was at MICA um, for the four years while also working like contract jobs. You know, I most of my jobs were always like um, walking other people's dogs, taking care of other people's kids, um, being people's assistants, like for people who had a hard time living life, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I need you to help me keep my life organized, that, that kind of assistant. Um, so I think I was kind of at a, with art school and running current space, I, I really had like a full schedule and yeah. a lot of it was like, um, a lot of art. By the time I graduated from my, from Micah and I continued to run current space at some point I was just starting to like feel bad you know it was like I was no longer making my own artwork um you know my background was mostly in photography a little bit of video um and yeah we I was doing events at current all the time we were putting shows up every month which they continue to do like maniacs um um, i just started to like not feel good you know and i didn't know why i mean i kind of did but i i wasn't making my own artwork um and i kind of compare this to like being in a relationship with somebody for a long time and all of a sudden you're just like this is not working out. And then you spend the next year going, this is still not working out, you know? And then you finally break up and you're like, oh, I should have done that sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely like that, you know? And like, fi- you know, I finally broke up with current. I was kind of forced to, cause I got, I got pregnant and I like couldn't balance all of these things. So I was, I had to like really narrow my energy mm-hmm. expenditure, expenditure down to like, just walking dogs and being pregnant. I can no longer balance, you know, and current space was a labor of love. They didn't pay, they don't pay, you know? So it was exhausting, even though it was supporting the community. 
Um, but I think in that, at that point was when I changed, you know, it was like, I let go of things and then I was able to like, let new things come into my life, which is when textiles came into my life. And, um, I came across a quilter in Austin, Texas named Laura Ambrose. Um, mm -hmm. she's a modern or contemporary quilter. And, um, I had never, I had seen quilts in my life before, but something about the way she was working with them or the way she was making them made me, made it really appealing to me. And of course, after like her bringing it to my attention, I then did a lot of research and found out a lot about Amish quilts and G's Bend quilts, that community, and learned that there, it was just like this glorious, amazing, uh, just so much history behind uh, quilt making. Mm -hmm. um, so I know the I'm getting to answering your question. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, but you know, it took some like trial and error and um, starting. Oh yeah, that's what it was. It was seeing Laura uh, Mora Ambrose's quilts and wanting one of her quilts, and then uh, realizing I could not afford one of her quilts, and was like, I'll just. I'm just going to teach myself how to quilt. And um, I borrowed a sewing machine from somebody and it was very difficult. I returned to the sewing machine. <laughs> and then I think like a, maybe even a year went by before I tried it again. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, I had this idea that I really wanted to, to make happen. And it involved it being a quilt, which was this uh, memorial quilt for my dad, where I right. was scanning a lot of his old photographs um, on sienna coated cotton fabric. Yeah. And I, I just, I, the, the, the deep desire for it to be a quilt was so strong that serendipitously at the same time, I, a sewing machine came into my um, possession again, yeah. and it was given to me. So I got to live with it. And I still have that sewing machine that's made all of my quilts. Um, but yeah, I think that um, that's sort of like how I got into this world. Yeah. Like teaching myself through the, through like old lady videos on the internet, like how to sew, how to hand quilt, how to um, bind a quilt. Um, and I think it was through teaching myself this new craft that I was able to then start to think of it conceptually much later on. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where like coming up with ideas and following through with them came because before it was all just like, um, I think there's a difference between making a piece that's more um, about the design and the color and the form versus something that has like a conceptual, like storytelling, like background to it. Yeah. Um, and that process is like kind of crazy for me. I um, I have ADHD. <laughs> uh, and so sometimes my brain is just like, like all over the place, even when I'm having a conversation like we're having right now, it's just like ding, 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 ding. And I, when I'm coming up with ideas for things, it's like, it's like a manic episode of just like making all these random connections, taking notes, 
mm-hmm. having synchronicities happen too, where I'm like watching mm-hmm. something and I'm like, oh, that connects to, I'm making all these like connections and it feels really crazy for a little bit. And then I have like all this information and then like a month later or so it's like all starts to like calm down. And then I have like the concept for a piece that I've either already started working on or I'm like getting everything together to start working on. So I think I finally answered you. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. That, that's interesting. Like, um, I think sometimes when I'm putting together like something that's live and I don't have like a lot of confidence in it sometimes, and I'll just put down like, here's a bunch of ideas. Let me come back to it. How am I going to form these things to something that's that's coherent, that makes sense and that could be presented? So definitely the notion of being able to take in various like ideas and kind of use that to maybe craft like a concept or an idea of like how you're going to apply it to your craft. I definitely understand that. Yeah. So about how long were you were you like working within the craft before you started gaining confidence in it? Was it like a year? Was it a couple of years? Yeah, it was a couple, I think there was a couple years there, like definitely. Um, it, and really it was that I was like really churning them out. You know, I was like kind of obsessed up until before I started graduate school. And I even struggled then. Cause I, I was on this like hamster wheel of just yeah. like starting one quilt. And then when that one was in a, its second stage, I would start a new one of designing. And it was yeah. just like this, like, like I had people be like, wow, you're really like making a lot of quilts, you know? And I look back and I'm like, I guess that's my ADHD. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like really falling in love with something and just yeah. getting so obsessed that I can't really like see, you know, like <laughs> outside of it. Um, but yeah, I think it was a couple years before, um, I started gaining confidence in it. Um, I don't know. I, I think even the first year, like when I, finished the the quilt that I made of my dad that's called into the blue. Um, I felt pretty good about that. You know, I, I look at it now and there's like, you know, uh, on a technical level, there's some, some things I would critique, you know, but, but generally it's, I think the concept for it and everything I felt good then. And I still feel good about it. Um, so my husband likes to joke with me that maybe I could tone my confidence level down <laughs> a little bit. So. So just, just a little less on the confidence. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I just the way you're describing it, it kind of like I look at the amount of podcasts that I'm putting out, like just putting out a lot in the course of like a week or what have you. And it's like, you know, hey, I've recorded 13 interviews this week or, you know, that might be a number that I'll throw out and it's a real number. It's not an exaggeration. And people look at me like, what do you do for a day job? It's like, I have a day job <laughs> as well. And it's like, you are insane. And it's yeah. like, eh. but I think it's one of those things where it's almost like driving or any uh, like apprenticeship, things like that. When you start having more and more hours to it, you have a process of, I can do this in an efficient manner. And this may take more time, but not everything gets the same, everything gets the attention that it deserves, but not everything gets the amount of energy that it deserves, if that makes sense. It's yeah. like, I can maybe work on questions for another podcast while I'm doing an interview. And it's like, I'm listening, but it's more so for me to listen back to It's like being engaged, but being able to maybe parse out that engagement a little differently. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. When people are, would say things to me about how many quilts I was making, I, I was like, man, it's quilting has done something for me that no other like 
uh, process or medium had ever done before, which is that it was helping me really like or be an organized person, like in my mind, because it it's very like uh, the steps in making a quilt is you can't, you can't start in different parts. You have to start in the beginning to get to the end, you know? Yeah. So I really loved that organization and that organization has like really seeped into like all parts of my life. Um, and, you know, now I don't make as many quilts cause I'm, I'm working on a much more like conceptual level these days being in graduate school. But, um, I think if you really love doing something, you don't care how much time you're, you're putting into it, you know? And, yeah. and yeah, some people are more high. I'm just, I have like high energy. I was like, if I'm not putting all of that energy somewhere, I'll, I'll just be like screaming. Like ah! <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> I, I get it. Like, um, we, you have it like sometimes, um, I want to say like the last, like maybe two weeks, you know, maybe it's because of the temperature drops or what have you, but, I've been doing like six hours of sleep and I've been able to be good with like six, but in the months before that, I was like, I need nine. And it's almost like my, the amount of like a uh, podcast that I'm doing interviews that I'm doing and the work that goes into that finished product has increased while I'm working, while I'm sleeping less. So it's like, maybe my energy levels have gone up. I don't know. Oh, maybe I just need to drink less coffee. Who knows? But, um, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Eventually I'll just burn out and it was just, whew, I'm gone. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I have way like uh, more energy, like the end of spring, summer, summer's like my, my jam. Um, I wouldn't love it to be hot like that all the time, but it really like invigorates me and it kind of carries me through to the, to the winter. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of sleep less when we have more light. And then as we start we start to get less light. I'm like, I guess I could, stay in bed one more hour <laughs> I, I i hate the light maybe may, vampire i don't know because when I, when I go into the day job um i'm the only person like in my sector right now so i keep the lights out all the time and people are like rob are you here it's like no i'm not i was oh, talking no. there <laughs> yeah no i need that sunshine i'm like opening curtains like just last night i came home and my husband was like laying on the couch in the dark and i like start turning on all the lights and he's like whoa slow down oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I, the, the high stigmatism i think that's a piece of it yeah. um for, for me um, so I, I read that one of the intentions of your work is to encourage um viewers to connect with their environment is that true and can you tell me more about the uh, the thought in in that um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, after like two years of quilting, I got into, um, extracting color from plants and, um, that was like when some like next level magic happened in my practice because it sort of brought me like full circle back to darkroom photography. And mm -hmm. part of the reason why I left photography was that it started, it lost it's luster for me when digital became so uh, prominent. And I really loved working in the dark room, um, the magic behind developing film of, and the waiting and the surprise of it came very similar with like plant extraction. Um, like no matter how much I do it, I'm still like surprised by a plant. Um, and and I, and I hope that, you know, I don't think my earlier work would do this. Like if you looked at one of my earlier quilts, you would look at it. And if 
you didn't read the label, you would just think like, oh, it's just like fabric, you know. But then if you read, if you get closer and you read the label um, and you see that the, you know, the fabric secondhand fabric and that it was dyed with, you know, black walnuts or onion skins, then it, you know, it has you thinking like, whoa, onion skins, like I have that all the time in my kitchen, you know. Um, My newer work, I have some pieces where it's more apparent because I'm actually locking, like I have some of the raw materials within the pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it, it takes people less less to make that leap you know they can like see it and go what what is that and why is there you know like a black walnut in there or um yeah no I I feel like my hope is that someone would see it and they would just it would make them think about their environment differently that maybe the next time they saw black walnut you know smashed um on the street and they see that that it's stained the sidewalk that that that's where you know color comes from um and maybe, you know, hopefully that's, it would even encourage someone to look at like how we got color before the industrial revolution, um, before we uh, invented synthetic dyes. Um, so yeah, I, I, my hope is that, um, because at least for me, my favorite thing about dying with certain plants is knowing that it like reminds me that anything that's natural like us and plants that um, we all reach a point of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an example would be if I w- I'll get a very different color from, from a plant, if I pick it early in its life cycle, like it'll be a much more vibrant yellow, mm-hmm. say from like goldenrod. than if you pick it toward the end of its life cycle, you'll get like a pale yellow. And, you know, for, for me, that's, I love, I love that it connects me to, to our earth in that way that, you know, that it's also temporary. Um, and a lot of my work fades, you know, more so than synthetic dyed fabric because it's more sensitive to light. That's, that's legit. I I find what you're doing to be very interesting. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so let's see, I'm going to drop one of these questions. I think it's stupid now. Uh, but I want to ask this though. Um, what makes Baltimore a great and unique place for an artist? Uh, <laughs> uh, don't get me started about how much I love Baltimore. Like from the first time I visited, cause I, um, you know, I came here to go to, to Micah, but I was accepted also to Memphis school of art, which I, I visited and was like, this town is way too small for me coming from <laughs> Houston. But when I visited Baltimore, it was also small. I remember walking around the first day I was here and I saw the same guy like three times. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on with this city? Because Houston, you couldn't run into somebody if you were like trying to, you know, it's such a like, uh, like sprawling, vast commuter city. And Baltimore felt my favorite thing about it is that it feels like a very manageable city to live in. Um, I was attracted to the like history of it, the architecture. I just remember my first day moving into Mount Vernon on Reed Street by Never on Sunday. (laughs) That's still there. Um, And just like sitting on the stoop, like after a day of like going to school or whatever and like hanging out with the superintendents of the building, just like, just chill. They would be like smoking a cigar and just be chilling. I just like, I loved it. I was like, am I in a movie? What is going on? (laughs) 
was great. Houston, Houston's so like young and, you know, doesn't have that sort of history like Baltimore does. Um, and, you know, I, I think because it's a manageable city to live in, it makes it easy to stay connected to people mm-hmm. and to support people. Like it's so much easier to just be like, oh yeah, there's an opening here. Or there's an event here. Oh, it's only 15 minutes away, you know, yeah. versus other cities like Houston or LA or New York city, where it's just like, it takes like, no, I can't go to that. It'll take me like an hour and a half to get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a, because of the design of it, it affects how creatives live here and how yeah. they can connect and um, and support each other. Um, I feel very lucky that I moved here at a time where a lot of like intense creativity was like brewing between like musicians and visual artists and actors. And um, I really formed like a very tight uh, creative friend circle that we still continue to, you know, even though a lot of us have had kids and we're getting older, we still sometimes, you know, we get together and like 25 or 30 of us and like get in a cabin and just like make food all weekend. And, um, I, it feels very special. That sounds really fun, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm a big supporter of Baltimore. Whenever someone says something, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> well, that, that's the type of people we want on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I get to my rapid fire questions, because uh, I took one of my other questions out and added one to the rapid fire questions, I felt like you were doing too good. And oh. I, 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 I want to make it I want to make it challenging. So I've been changing things uh, while we've been talking. Um but I, I and I think you touched on this already, but um, let, let's let's look at the other side of it, too. W- what is your biggest barrier or challenge in, in, in being an artist? And how do you address it? The biggest barrier. Time and money. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I think since I've been in graduate school, um, you know, even when I was dog walking, the way I managed my time was like. I picked dog walking because it was like I was able to like exercise, listen to podcasts and audiobooks, which my you know, with AD with ADHD, I like couldn't just walk dogs. I had mm-hmm. to like be taking in information, stimulating my brain while also stimulating my body. Um and then when I left that to come to graduate school, um I think graduate school is allowing me to just be a total freak 24 seven. Like I get to just like, roll. like, I'm like, I'm going to work. And then I can just lay on my studio floor and be like, I'm working. (laughs) (laughs) So it's time, you know what I mean? Like once I'm done with school, I'm going to have to replace that with an actual like job that, um, not that, you know, this is a job, but it's just a different kind of job. Um, but you know, I'll have to like, manage my time again in a different way. And it's always like a challenge of just like taking this, like form this like recipe or like ingredients of your daily life and like trying to make it work for you in the best way. So you're not Um, that configuration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's my biggest challenge. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, if I had a ton of money, like how different would my artwork be? So that's, a, that's another thing I, I think about sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I always look at, cause I finally, like, I have conversations with people and 
people within the creative community, arts community, entrepreneurs, things like that. And even like people in my personal circle and the money is it, money is obviously a thing for everybody. Right. And what I try to look at is ask that next why I try to do the five whys or the five what's to kind of get to what the root of that thing might be. And sometimes it might be, you may not have money, but it might be an access thing that could lead you to a thing, um, could lead you to more resources, could lead you to maybe lowering bills. It's not necessarily money per se, but it does maybe change what that lifestyle setup is. And you have a little bit more flexibility, but in theory, it's the same money. And that's that's the type of conversations I've had with people. Um, so for instance, in doing this, there's not a lot of money in podcasting and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, it, and it does cost and, you know, to, to do things. And um, with it, it's been some exposure. So people will reach out and it's like, well, I have this, which might solve maybe um, studio access issues that might cut down that cost. And it's not necessarily, it might be, I'm trading my name per se for studio access or something like that. So I continue, can, I can continually do this artistic expression but not feel like it's now like a line item, you know, and that, that feels good. And I had to kind of come to that realization because I think those conversations, I think you were touching on it earlier with some of the advice you got from your, your parents. It was like, do something that makes money. It's like, well, yeah. do I have to? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. like those things start to feel like ugly sometimes when they're combined. Like I've done, at least for me, I've done a few like podcast gigs that had money attached to it. And, it's a lot of, hey, man, if you do a lot of, lot more of this type of talk, you have this type of guest on. It's like, yo, I don't want to do that. I want to yeah. do my own thing. I want to have my own freedom. You know? No. You know, I think ultimately when you do it, I think after, it's like it's a lot of pain and suffering. But I think eventually if you keep doing it, someone notices, you know what I mean? That you're that you're doing something that you really love because, you know, it. it it shows. And, and then someone's all of a sudden wants to give you money for that. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we love money here. Let's not I'm, act like I'm we don't. I'm holding out. I'm holding out, but I also don't mind juggling things. And, and I think you meant, you mentioned something that made me think about, like, I, I end up because of lack of money. I, I think the kind of practice that I have right now is is the best because, you know, I, I just go thrift store shopping and I look for other people's, you know, just like secondhand bed sheets and curtains yeah. and napkins. And, um, my, my materials are like minimal cost yeah. to be honest. You know, it's like, I use like leftover, you know, food waste and thing and like plants that grow around me or that are free, like growing off of trees that fall on the ground. So it's like, yeah, I think I think I started it because it was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to buy photo paper and chemicals <laughs> and like pay for film processing. You know, it's yeah. just a, my practice doesn't cost a whole lot of money. And, and actually, during the pandemic, my program, they had been kind of bugging me, like, are you going to start like adding some digital aspects to your work, you know, yeah. like video or audio. And, and I kept just being <laughs> like, ah, oh, like, leave me alone. <laughs> and they're like, it is a digital arts program. I'm like, mm -hmm, I'll, I'm going to get there soon. Um, but then the pandemic hit and a lot of people in my program were at a loss. Like mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do because they, they had been, their practice had been revolving around equipment that they actually didn't have access to anymore. And then I was like in my backyard with my witch pot, like dying, <laughs> like making, you know, like a purple dye. And I was like, 
I'm good guys. I'm just back to, <laughs> I don't need anything but fire and water and a plant and some fabric. <laughs> you're, you're back to like toil and trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just waiting. See, as soon as someone hears this episode, I'm like, all right, we need to start charging like Monique money for plants. <laughs> it, it's like, damn it. <laughs> what happened? No, I know. Yeah. Just like water. They're like, let's bottle it up. Yeah. But that's but it's great that you're you're able and I think in it like having something that the base ingredients for lack of a better term are like low cost and they're something that anyone can find that just goes and shows as a testament to to your talent and your approach to your work that the 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 thread sounds so punny but the thread in there is literally your talent bringing these things together to perform something that's art so bravo thank you oh totally. thanks, thanks for chatting with me. Now it's rapid fire time. Uh -oh. Now you're just the part where you get to hate me a little bit. Uh -oh. um, what's shaking my constituency? Rob Lee here, and I want to tell you about something sweet. No, no, not just my sweet voice, and you'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but I want to tell you about one of my presenting sponsors for this month, Waffy Waffle. Do you like dessert? I hope you do. Do you like over-the-top dessert waffles? Well, Waffy is right up your alley. Waffy has yeast-based waffles made with love and topped with everything from syrup to sprinkles, you know, the regular stuff, to ice cream and even cheesecake toppings. Treat yourself to something sweet today. Visit Waffy at www.waffywaffle.com and on Instagram at Waffy Waffle. And don't forget to tell them that Rob Lee sent you. All right, so we, we kind of left off in that last that last question you're talking about um extracting color from plants so what is your favorite color to extract from a plant oh no in, in the rapid fire right here's the context you don't need to provide any additional context the answer is the answer so however you want to put is it, like is yellow from marigolds moving on it can be uh, that if you want all right well i thought i uh so different than just like a regular color because if I could extract emerald green, I would would do that. But as far as extraction goes, cochinelle from uh, it's a, a pure magenta color from a, a bug that grows on cactuses. And it's like it'll it like burns your eyes. It's so bright. I've learned something new right there. And that's going to be a new color that I'll wear. So I will be putting in an order with you. So how's Cochinelle magenta? It's like. <laughs> Can you make, can you, can you quote me a shirt? Because I wear those size shirts at this point. Um, <laughs> a favorite season. Oh, all seasons, but I'll, I'll go with summer. Okay. Now this is what I just added because I enjoy puns and you, I enjoy puns and you might know where this is going. Okay. How I'm many bad, I'm bad at puns? Well, it is regional too. Okay. How many crab jokes do you hear with that being your last name? And you, oh my God, all the time, all the time. Oh yeah. People love it when they get to see my driver's license, see my last name and then see the little Maryland crab up on the corner. Like, yeah. They're, they're, they're snickering at you. I, I used to get so many because Rob Lee and it's like, Oh yeah. Like Robert E. Lee. I was like, you can kick rocks. How about that? How oh. you, you can jog off. Yeah. You're like, don't give me Robert E. Lee. No. <laughs> like it's not that, it's not that type of party. Um, I think you already answered this, but I want to confirm it. Uh, early riser or night owl. Oh, early riser. I wake up at like five, five thirty. Oh, you too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wine or beer. Wine. I like liquor. 
that you didn't give it as an option. I like Kinda. tequila. Tequila is my favorite. Mexican American. Okay, got it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> um, and th- this could be local. I mean, this is the last one of this group. Uh, favorite park um, in Baltimore? Lake Roland, which funny that we just mentioned Robert E. Lee because it used to be called that. And it's called <laughs> Lake Roland, which is great. Um, so yeah. I like going there to run. It's my running spot. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. I, I remember I went there and recently, and I was like, they changed the name here. Finally, this problematic BS is gone. No. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore has so many great parks, Druid Hill Park, Patterson Park. It's, yeah. he, I think it, I read somewhere that it's like the second largest green canopy, like, and that means, you know, like New York city has central park and then yeah. Baltimore has uh, Patterson Park. Yeah, we just have a very large green canopy for our city. Like in comparison to other cities. So, yeah, I was going to, um, I was going to like do a little graffiti there, get rid of the E and it's just my park moving on. Uh, so (laughs) I want to, I want to invite you to, um, shamelessly plug, um, and, and thank you so much. Um, but shamelessly plug website, social media, any of that stuff. And again, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I know I felt so, I was like, how did he know about me? Where did he find me? (laughs) Um, yeah, but now I follow you on Instagram, which I love using. It's like my like live journal, scrapbooking, documenting (laughs) studio. Yeah. Profile. And it's called handwork quilts. Um, and then my website's moniquecrab.com. So they two have bees. Two, two bees. bees. Not a regular crab. It's got two bees. <laughs> two bees if you're nasty. Um, <laughs> that's stupid. Uh, so for the super talented, super interesting Monique Crab, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Oh,